Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, the man on the ones and twos, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, Mike. I was just excited, so I just had to make a noise. You know, it works. It is an exciting day around here. I can understand why. We've got a great show for everybody today here. Yes. I'm pumped about this one. Uh, different as we've been trying to do lately, especially in the NFL offseason. Plenty more things to be able to kind of sink our teeth into. Bill Lawrence, uh, screenwriter and one of the co-creators of Ted Lasso, getting ready to join us today. He has also uh, been a part of the Project Shrinking on Apple TV+, Plus. Uh, was one of the creators of Scrubs and writers for Scrubs back in the day, Spin City. He has been and had his hand in a lot of everyone's favorite shows ever. So stop by to talk about season three of Ted Lasso, getting ready to get started, um, Shrinking season one that's going right now. And being a dad, getting beat by your kid in sports, uh, his lifelong love affair with sports in general. So lots of great stuff. Bill's an awesome guy. I know I've seen him around with the guys over at the Dan Levitard show. So very much a gets the show kind of guy. Listen, if this show can start interviewing more TV writers, creators, and comedians, it's a perfect spot for me. I I love it. Obviously, we love all the sports guests, but anyone that is also a comedian that's in love with their sport come on to gojo we got a, we got a platform for you we do talk to bill about him getting his start in stand-up when he first came out to la to try and start getting into the business and how that informed the way that he wrote for other actors other people in comedic writing so all very cool there and we also talk about so two nights ago as of the recording of this podcast 
I got to go and check out the, not the Ted Lasso season three premiere, but the Ted Lasso season three premiere after party in Los mm. Angeles. Shout out to Sarah Spain, a uh, friend of the podcast who had an extra ticket to the after party and let me tag along with her and her husband, Brad. Got to see and meet a lot of the cast there. Missed Bill somehow, ships in the night, but got to see everyone else. Fully embarrassed myself in front of Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard on the show. Another one of the writers and creators there. I was asked by by a kid to take a picture of that kid and Brendan and the kid didn't really ask he sort of like gave me the eyes and handed me a phone I had just taken a picture with Sarah her husband Brendan and a couple of other people and so I thought oh maybe this kid took the picture and we need to send it to one of us and so I'm trying to click to find the picture while they're all standing there arm in arm waiting for me to take this photo wondering if I'm having a fucking stroke because I keep looking at this camera like where's the picture and they think I don't know how to take a photo so that was my introduction to Coach Beard of Ted Lasso as I met him was an awesome guy, lovely man, but had to think I was an absolute fucking lunatic. Mike, that's uh, two ways that story could have went. I thought that you were going. I thought you were trying to take a picture with a young man, or, or at least, or hand the phone to Coach Beard to take a picture of you and the young man. Because people, I'm sure you're used to people asking you to take your picture. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you were able to to just embarrass yourself a little bit. Because without that, you know, who are you? Exactly. I am nothing if not on brand perpetually, which means I am a full-blown fucking idiot. But I am a childless idiot and a single idiot who has free time when he gets a random text message at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night to come through and meet the cast of Ted Lasso. So, Can I say, since you've been in L.A., is this one of the top five most L.A. nights? Is that fair to say? This is, I would say, like the most L.A. thing that I have done. Like when people think of what happens when you come out here, yes, this would by far qualify being able to tag along with my infinitely more famous and more connected friend in Sarah Spain and work my way into this setting where I just got to go in and shamelessly be a fanboy. Because, you know, when we get around events where it's like other what's athletes and stuff like that, you're less wowed because we've been around that world for a lot longer. I'm yes. seeing this people and I'm not trying I'm trying not to go full Chris Farley show which I did at multiple points in this interview with Bill Lawrence where I'm just barfing out scenes that I really liked at him with no question in <laughs> mind and just expecting this wonderful man to be able to pick it up which he does because he is great and I am an idiot. I listen, we're all looking forward to it. We're all fortunate. You said Sarah Spain friend of the podcast still haven't had her on officially but she's helped us book some other guests. So yes, definitely friend of the podcast. Looking forward to having her on in her conversation. Exactly. So excited to check that one out. Make sure you stick around. It's a great interview. Lots of stuff we get covered there. Um, Brandon, we like the NBA last night was just too giving of content overall to say nothing before we get started with this interview. Yeah. Kevin Durant missing his first home game as a member of the Phoenix Suns because of a rolled ankle sucks so bad. Rolled his ankle in pregame warmups, getting ready for the game, ended up getting ruled out. And watching the replay of that ankle roll, he goes up, looks like he's going to go up for a layup or a reverse layup and rolls his plant leg. So as he goes to push off it, almost looks like he then rolls the ankle on the other leg there. For Kevin Durant, who's a seven-footer with a history of lower body injuries, this is no small thing. 
Like, rolled ankle looked pretty bad. We'll see what further evaluation comes from it. But what an really inauspicious start to what had already been three great games. They were 3-0. and He'd been balling outrageous, and now they've got all the worries back. Can I put my Stu Gotts hat on real quick? Please. Mike, he's ducking OKC. He's afraid of the Thunder. The team that originally drafted him, obviously CLC, it doesn't matter. Now they're the Thunder. OKC, he doesn't want to play them. They're too good. I think he's ducking. He's hiding into the playoffs, Mike. I don't believe Kevin Durant. He's too frail. Your Stu Gotts is just Jim Rome. <laughs> That was Jim Rome. <laughs> no, there's more pauses with Jim Rome. There's more there's more thoughtful consideration and then a bunch of just vomiting out. So Kevin Durant, he rolled his ankle out. Supposed to debut for the Suns in Phoenix. Everyone's there holding jerseys. Very excited. He's not there. Uh ruled out <laughs> during warm-ups. Uh can't believe it. Did you see it? Did you see the video, wowzers, looked bad. That's, I see, a, re- I see what you're that's a really good. Ge- it's the same voice, just with a different meter, is what you did. Yes, I see. I see the connections after I did it. But yes. That being said, your Jim Rome is excellent. So I appreciate that analysis <laughs> from Limited Fake Jim Rome at Gojo Show on Twitter. Did Brandon Stugatz impression sound too much like Jim Rome? Um, so we wish Kevin Durant a speedy recovery on that. It was, I will say, one of the most unathletic things I've ever seen. Like, I have not seen an NBA player roll their ankle in such a way where I was for a second wondering if that person played basketball. So that's how you know it was bad because it clearly caught him off guard. It, it Mike, everything about this video caught should catch everyone off guard. It's not just the rolling ankle video, Mike, because if you see people roll their ankle in NBA games, like they give you a bunch of different angles to see how it happened, if they were under someone, all the stuff like that. Mike, it was set up from an angle as if someone was doing a TikTok of a dunk. It was like it felt like it was like a self-timer yeah, video. Like because it was like on that ground perfect, level. It was on that perfect angle where you were ground level and could see all of his body. And you you and then you just see the ankle crumble while he's while he's going up for what seems like an easy shot for Kevin Durant. I, I'm the Sun should be worried, but the Western Conference should be excited. I mean, I hope it's nothing long term. Like again, it looked unfortunately having seen the video a few too many times it looks bad but we're gonna keep hoping that it's not long term because when he was on the floor it looked like the team that should absolutely win the west they had been sensational so far for all the reasons that we've talked about on this podcast so wishing kevin durant a speedy recovery um wishing dylan brooks a speedy recovery after draymond (laughs) green just decided it was night night time um to be fair dylan brooks came for him first Oh, no, listen, I'm not taking sides on this. It's just like we talked about with the fight between Luka Doncic uh, the other day in the Phoenix Suns game with him and Devin Booker. When you've got so much basketball trump card on your side 
and you're an even bigger caricature of the personality and the heel that Dylan Brooks is trying to embody, uh, these kinds of yeah. moments feel inevitable, right? Like Devin yeah. Booker fighting with Luka Doncic feels like, hey, two elite scorers, two young guys, but Luka has the trump card of not only recently beating them in a playoff series, but also now getting to look at that team and say they had to bring in a better guy because you weren't good enough. Mm. For Dylan Brooks and um, this with Draymond Green, You've got Dylan Brooks and the dynamic with the Grizzlies that we know is complicated now for John Morant reasons that we'll get to as we update that story in a little bit. But that team tried to position themselves as the antagonist to the Golden State thing. Had the great playoff series with them, talked about, and you heard those guys chirping about Dynasty, chirping about wanting them on Christmas Day, all of which served as more fuel to the fire when the Golden State Warriors won their fourth NBA title with this core at the helm. And so Dylan Brooks in a statement said, I don't like Draymond at all. I just don't like Golden State. I don't like anything to do with them. Draymond talks a lot. He gets away with a lot too. His game is cool with Golden State, but if you put him anywhere else, you're not going to know who Draymond is. He plays with heart, plays hard, knows the ins and outs of their defense. I guess that's why they like him over there. And Draymond proceeded to go long line by line into this laying into how much nobody on the Memphis Grizzlies likes Dylan Brooks calling him an idiot referencing how gets away with a lot he'd said I have 15 texts which is one fewer than your dumbass I believe was loosely the quote talked about again you would talk more if you had four championships a defensive Mm. player of the year the olympic gold medals like that's the problem is it ends up very quickly becoming a big bank take little bank situation for you and your dylan brooks where you have nothing to stand on but your game and even that because you don't have any of the surrounding accolades does not stand up when you talk with this person i love when people talk their shit but this can be what happens on the other side when you're walking to a gunfight with a knife Mike, it, it got even worse than that. Draymond addressed Memphis Grizzly fans and said, if this is a player that you're leaning on to be a championship team, this is one of the reasons why you will never be a championship team. He goes on to say that the Memphis Grizzlies will only win a playoff game, meaningful playoff games, after Dylan Brooks is no longer a part of the team. He like, said the it, dynasty it, it starts after you. Burn. Yes, he what? said the dynasty starts after you. <laughs> what a bar. What a bar. Like Harrison Barnes. Oh, it, it it really, like, that's exactly why, like, the folks over at The Volume are paying Draymond Green to do a podcast. Like, that yes. is, this is 100% of what you had in mind. Because Draymond, Draymond's like what we see all the time with Shaq on the inside the NBA set when he goes at Charles. Shaq's got this incredible resume that no one can match. Charles Barkley is a Hall of Famer right. and an all-time NBA player in his own right. But when you stack them up next to each other, very few people are going to hold weight next to Shaq. And so that's not to say Dylan Brooks is even as close to that conversation as Charles Barkley is, but it's just a reminder of how it can go when whatever you think about Draymond Green as a player, he's got the hardware that's going to help a lot, and he's good at talking shit. Like, that's the other part is he's just, you're also walking into his dojo when you do this. Yeah, I mean... He punched his teammate earlier this year. <laughs> like, Straight he, up. He punched, he punched the guy that pushed him out of being a part of the big three. Like, 
Like, don't mess with Draymond. That's, that is so true. That man, that's that's like when Steve Smith back in the day put hands on one of his teammates. Like, that's when you know that's probably not the person to mess with all that much. Yeah. I mean, but, hey, shouts out to Dylan Brooks, though. He he seems fearless. And when we talked about confidence yesterday uh, with, with Charlotte Wilder, it, he has that cornerback level confidence that – that we hopefully can lean on. Like, I, I, let's just squeeze this lemon until he's out of the league. I'll say that. Yeah, big defensive back energy. There is no doubt. Speaking of big DB energy, we're going to take a quick break and talk to another man brimming with confidence on the basketball court. That is Ted Lasso writer and co-creator Bill Lawrence. Next. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. All right, dude, so sorry, ready to roll. Oh, no problem, man. I know you guys got plenty going on, trust me. No, man, it's, it's a writer's room, and we were out late carousing last night. This is a premiere party for Ted Lasso. And we had to finish something today that I said I'd be done with by noon. It took me till five minutes ago, dude. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no worries. I actually, funny enough, I ended up at that Ted Lasso premiere party last night. I was looking around and I didn't see you anywhere in there. Were you really there, dude? Because I I met Sarah Spain there for like 30 seconds. So So, I'm surprised you weren't circling around her somewhere, man. Sarah was my ticket in there, actually. I must have like missed her at that point. She texted me at like 8.30 last night. And yeah. said, hey, hypothetically, if I had an extra ticket to this premiere party, could you be at Brentwood by 935? And she, as she put it, she's like, you're the only single childless person I know in this area of Los Angeles who could have done it. So big win for me lifestyle wise. Very funny, dude. Yeah, no. I'm sorry. I would, if I had known you were there, I would have found you. I'm sorry, man. I was, no. I was literally hiding. It was a, definitely a weird, surreal night. I, 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 I was always curious, like, is, is that part of the process that you like or not? Those sort of oh, moments. Dude, I, I, uh, uh, I, have we started? If we started, I'll be much more curse, less, less cursy. Yeah, we've started, but you can curse on this podcast. Right, cool, cool, cool. Level, yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, um, it used to be my thing. I love it when it's small and you're celebrating with like the cast and crew. Uh, uh, these things for me are often not in a negative way. So I like everybody, but work like of, uh, uh, thanking executives and talking to different people that let us make the show and all that stuff, man. You know? Yeah. Once I saw Tim cook in the building, I was like, Oh, it's this kind of party. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> then I had to do a moment with Tim. Cook. I'm still uh, in an Emmy speech. The first year I called him T dog and it kind of became a joke because I don't really know him. So I, I still have to have a, he's a nice man, but I have to have an awkward conversation with him anytime he shows up. Cause I'm not good at that stuff, man. 
I, I mean, listen, you calling him T-Dog, I feel like on the scale of awkward encounters is a lot less like humbling as you walked onto this Zoom and realized that you have seen me wearing man spanks on the internet. Like that's a very yeah. interesting way to meet somebody. Yeah, man, it's an honest, uh, honest connection for us. It makes you immediately vulnerable and humanizes you. I try to seem accessible the same way, dude. I wear hoodies and stuff, you know? <laughs> well, I, I realized coming onto this that I essentially did like – I always called it the Ryan Rosillo where I left ESPN to move to Los Angeles, but I realize you're a Connecticut guy, so I did the Bill Lawrence going Connecticut to Los Angeles trying to I make like it work. I like that more because I know, I know Rosillo, but he played in my basketball game once or twice out here, believe it or not, and uh, uh, he's a good dude, man. I, uh, it's, I, I like all my connections to the people that used to be at ESPN because I don't have many connections to people that uh, are still there. Yeah, no, there's a there's an interesting like breakout from all that. And ironically, a lot of people decided after living in central Connecticut, they'd rather live in Southern California, which isn't shocking. Well, look, I mean, I wouldn't say that those are opposite ends of the scale, but they're close. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Where's Connecticut, man? I grew up in Avon and then went to high school in West Hartford. Yeah. OK, I should have known that. I knew that. Yeah, I grew up in the mean streets of Ridgefield, Connecticut. There you go. You say it's a I man. got out though, man. I got played a success story. I pulled myself up on my Fairfield County bootstraps. <laughs> got out of there. <laughs> a true, a true miracle that you're here with us today. Here, yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah, appreciative yeah, you true. found your way out here. I'm also like, I'm glad you survived playing basketball with Rosillo. Are you as intense on the court as Ryan is? Because I know he's he a, takes that very seriously. He's a hard charger, man. You look the uh, uh, the one reason I love getting the opportunity to talk to athletes and stuff like yourself is that there's a even though I'm not one, I badly wish to be the uh, and the perspective of how you have to change who you are. I don't think he's changed who he is as an athlete yet. I was a, 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 a you know I'm a tall guy and I'm uh, a very adequate slasher, you know. And uh, I don't venture in there anymore, man. It's where you get hurt. You know, I pay for that shit for days now. Yeah, there's nothing less exciting than having to explain your adult injury to people that you work with. Yeah, I, I, the saddest look that I had a milestone. Um, the uh, uh, my son is about six five. He played ball in high school and and, and uh, 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 had to stop there. And uh, my two milestones where he finally beat me in one on one. And I actually had to talk to a sports therapist about it because uh, we said first one to ten games, either he has to make my lunch, you know, for uh, every weekend for a couple weeks, or uh, uh, I had to buy him a jersey he wanted. And he went up. He's much better than me. He can dunk. He's a better shooter, better athlete. And he uh, uh, went up like eight games to two and then started talking shit. And so I just decided to, A, I'm going to psychologically defeat him. And B, um, whatever, I'm going to play him tight on his jump shot. Whenever he drives, I'm just going to tackle him into the fucking bushes and not worry about it. Yep. And, uh, and it got a really gross kind of pressure because I made it nine. I got it to nine games to eight him. And my wife had to say, like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> why does this matter to you? And I literally talked to a, a therapist buddy. I'm doing a show about therapy now who said, you can't let him win, but you also can't do this crap you're doing. You have to play straight up, be kind. You can't foul him intentionally. And he just rocked me to win. And so that was like a huge, a huge. And then part two of it, I went on Dan and Stu Gatz's show and I played ball because I was working out in Miami, and uh, and they speak so highly of you. You should know that. Um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Tony played in his game, and the next day on the show, they asked him if I was good. He's like, he's got a great old man game. I'm wow. like, dude, you just killed me. You killed me. 
between that and them, I saw them, they were reading like the critiques from Time Magazine about shrinking yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah. That, you want to talk about psychological warfare, those guys, that was below the belt as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, I don't think that there's, all right. I often say when I, when I talk about this stuff that people mistake Hollywood and sports for being massively different than any other business. And in lots of ways they aren't, you know what I mean? In lots of ways, you know, you have your shelf life, you're hot or you're not, you have a free agent year. It's the, the same time. The one thing that is uh, uh, kind of overlap that doesn't exist elsewhere are you signed on for a job that people are going to crap on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even if you're trying your best, you know, if it does not come up at the level they want it to, to. And I've been thinking about this all day is a fascinating Seth Rogen gave a super interesting um, interview yesterday that could have been given by an, a former athlete instead of a, an actor. And he said, I don't know what's changed in our culture, but I think if the critics, or in your case, when, when we're talking about sports, you know, some of the sports reporters out there knew how much the crap they said really personally, the tone of it now personally hurts you. He's like, I think they'd stop, you know, or at least and he wasn't saying they'd stop saying like, Oh, this player sucked, or this player is no good, or this show stinks, or it's. A, but the the tone of which some of these things are written now are so personal and damaging. I feel like I'm Teflon, and the one I was laughing about that you just mentioned. I mean, it took me to you know, my knee, man. I felt like, I felt like I had been pushed off of a bunk bed, you know. And you're like, <gasps> oh yeah, it's. It, it, I I I will never forget, and hope I I always try and go back to this as I go along because you're right. I think for a lot of people the further away they get from the process, the harder it is for them to remember there are human beings in the middle of it. And I have this distinct memory of like four years ago as I'm just getting going and trying to keep that top of mind. My dad's advice was always, hey, you're criticizing the action and not the actor. Like you can't make it personal. And that was when Eddie Lacy was still with the Packers and he was, you know, a heavier running back. And a lot of people would comment on that. And Eddie came out and said that affected him. Like he had to talk to somebody about that because he battled to keep his weight down. And I remember sitting there going, my God, if he hadn't said anything, we'd have probably all just kept going on making jokes about this. Like it didn't. And finally you have some people speaking up, which I think is hopefully going to help that. But I don't even know if that's possible at this point. I don't know, man. You know, it's really fascinating. People don't even realize it about uh, criticism in uh, entertainment. When I was a kid, and I'm old, you know, uh, there were critics like a, a woman named Pauline Kael is a famous film critic or a theater critic in Frank. The people would get excited to read their reviews, negative or positive, because they were never personally mean. They were well-written, like short stories and insightful. And even if you read that stuff about your own crap, you would be like, oh, that's a good point. Or that's it. And it never felt like someone was just hammering you. And now, now man, I literally half the time, it'll, someone doesn't like things like, well, you know what you're going to get with a Bill Lawrence show, this piece of crap. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what, the, what happened? I'm a pretty decent guy. I can say, what did I ever do to all of you guys? Good Lord. Know, Look, the one thing that we have that actors, athletes, uh, even hosts like yourself don't have is we have a step removed because sure. at least I get to live in the world of like, oh, you're judging this stuff I wrote on a, on a pad and not me personally. Once you enter into the, the world of, of, you know, feeling like you're personally attacked, man, it's rough out there. I think, and because I heard you talking on on the South Beach sessions with Dan about your start being in stand up comedy when you first came out here, does that influence how you write? Knowing that, like, hey, part of what I'm doing in here is going to end up 
being in a performance with someone that's going to be on them. Like to your point, that actor's face and name are front and center on all of that. Did that experience being on the stage, being in front of people like that kind of influence the way that you wrote for others for that reason? Yeah. In two different ways. Look, one is, um, I think the, uh, you know, I started in something called multi-camera sitcoms where I'm so old, man, that, you know, my first show I created was called spin city, but I wrote on oh, friends, yeah. boy meets world and there'd be a live audience. And, uh, um, uh, there is nothing, if you have the experience of a standup of just going out and eating it, you know, of having a night or some material that people just do not respond to in any way, shape or form, you have an extra layer of protection, mm-hmm. uh, for actors and actresses you like, cause for them to die up on stage with something they didn't even write. I, I still remember by the way, is I, I said, Mike Fox is the nicest guy. Um, in the planet, uh, the coolest thing of, you know, an icon for me was suddenly saying stuff I wrote. And I remember the first year I convinced him to try a joke that he didn't like. I'm like, oh, I'll just try it. It'll be funny, man. And, you know, in front of a packed audience, he did it. It was silence. And he broke in the middle of the scene. He just goes, I'm going to murder you, Bill. <laughs> and, the audience, and the audience all laughed. I'm literally like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, man. Um, so that aspect of it, of not wanting to subject people to that, I think it, it drives you, makes you work harder. Um, I think the other thing it teaches you, uh, stand up is to look, there's two schools of writing, especially comedy writing. Um, there's a lot of no judgment. There's a lot of, uh, uh men and women that are, um, they're married to their words mm-hmm. and it might sound jerkish. Like when I go, Oh, you're not allowed to riff or to change a line from, um, um, you know, and to also or whatever. And before you go, well, that's not fair. It's no different than like if, if you or I got hired to do uh, Romeo and Juliet, which would be horrible casting. Yeah. But if we got hired to do Shakespeare and we showed up on Broadway and I was like, hey, I'm probably going to riff a couple of these lines. They'd be like, what? We don't change it. That's not how it works. So I get it. But for me, what stand up taught me was um, – there are different things that comics and comedians can say that only work because they're coming out of their voice, mm. you know? And, um, uh, I mean, try it sometime. I told some young comedy writers I was teaching at a college to say, uh, one of your favorite standups sometime, go online and try to find a written out, you know, version of one of their bits, unless it's a hard setup, punchline, whatever, just to read it. Sometimes it's not funny. Sometimes the shit Chappelle, you know, until it comes out of Chappelle's mouth or Bill Burr's mouth, you know, or Sarah Silverman's mouth. Sometimes it, you know, on the page, you're like, Oh, that's kind of, and then when they say it, you're like, boom. So with TV writing, I really embraced a, uh, I say with actors and actresses, when I do a pilot, uh, the characters belong 50% to the performers and 50% to the writers. Uh, but then they get to start taking more and more ownership every week till on my shows that work the best, the cast by the end of the first season can say stuff like, I wouldn't say that. Or is it okay if I say this differently? Or the best thing is I'm going to do a different joke here and they do it all on their own. And then someone comes up to me and goes, Hey, I love that joke. I just go, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) It's honestly, the parallels with that are actually incredible kind of with soccer at the forefront of Ted Lasso, because really you think about that for the manager, that's what, you know, you can put so much into them and then these people have to take ownership for you then with that as that style of giving some of this autonomy to the actors, 
do you watch some characters like change markedly from what you had in mind when you're cooking this up? Like when you look at Ted Lasso now where we're at in season three, is there a character who you never would have predicted evolved the way they did over the course of the show because an actor took some risks or took liberties with that? Yeah, look, I can tell you um, um, right on the bat, that's a completely different situation only because uh, we call it the, I called it the answer key. Jason Sudeikis was such a strong and still mm-hmm. is. I mean, he's running the show the third year. You know, I'm able to do other shows because that guy's just not an actor and writer. You know, he's a showrunner. And so for me, third season, I go, hey, I'm going to go do Shrinking and this thing called Bad Monkey in Miami. And he ran the show himself. The reason we call him the answer key this is what's so weird is to be in a writer's room with somebody that is pitching and developing stuff for their character. And before you put it on film, you can find out if it works because he'll just say it right next to you, you know, Damn. Um, which is freaky. Uh, the most interesting uh, character change for me, I was blown away by is uh, the dude that plays Roy, Brett Goldstein is um, it's a comedy writer and a comedian first. And uh, you rarely see this. He's the exact antithesis of his character in real life. He's so sweet and so sensitive and kind. And he doesn't talk like this and he doesn't growl, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so to see him instead of just kind of like a lot of times some of the actors and actresses in comedy, especially that we love the most, are playing versions of themselves. You know what I mean? And that's what we respond to. You know, um, you want to believe that Tom Hanks is really like that. My other show, Harrison Ford, is really like that, you know, and, and, and uh, 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 it's fascinating when somebody takes something that from the second they get the part, you're like, oh, it's going to be a much more kind of open, emotional, sensitive guy. And he just to say, you know, Brett's taken it so far, you'll be hard pressed to find a picture of him in the media smiling. He decided back then, he's like, man, if I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Even his photos, it's this, you know, just absolute asshole face. You know what I mean? I, did, uh, I don't think anybody expected him to fly that way. It was really cool. He crushed it. it it's And I think with him especially, he kind of is a big part of what I think you do really well. And hearing your talk about sports and your background in sports and how much you love that, it makes a lot more sense because the one thing as I've you know talked about the show and talked with people about the show, part of me always goes back to the former athlete stuff. And I feel like you guys hit so many of the smaller notes about locker room dynamics and about players transitioning away from the game and the difficulties with identity crisis. In addition to the obvious, you know, overt conversations about the mental health around athletes. And I feel like Brett's character and Roy, especially the beginning of season two, you really see so many of the parts of every former athlete, or I'd say the vast majorities, transition from the game into whatever their next role is. Like, did that just come from you and your experience? Were there other people that you talked about with that? How did that go? Well, look, the the um, this show in particular, I think one of the cool things about it was uh, Jason and I initially connected. He's a hell of a basketball player. He's a, a sports nut. Um, one of our first bonding things the first year was he came out to my basketball game and immediately, you know, that's how you like judge somebody immediately equipped himself very well. He's, you know, Midwestern boy with a Midwestern jump shot, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, 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 and so on that, that show, the, the most interesting thing about it, as far as being knowledgeable about the sports, I mean, it was going to be a sports show. So we had to kind of be obsessive about it. Brendan Hunt, who plays coach beard is truly an encyclopedia of this stuff. 
we're all fans, but the, the bigger issue was not knowing the Premier League the same way uh, and, you know, really discovering that it's the closest thing to regional college football, you know, here in the way that they have psychotic localized fan bases, you know, and, and, and that kind of, you know, a small city passion that also transcends nationally. We had to staff that show with uh, uh, Brett Goldstein, whose parents are all Tottenham Hotspurs, and um, uh, 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 Phoebe Walsh, whose family are all people that grew up with the passion of Premier League, so we understood it and could equate it to all, all our athlete friends. But what's so more interesting is your question's so good because it's the perspective, I think, you know, to me, it's easy to do sports when you're doing sports. But I think if you grow up in that world, guy or girl, you know, Jason, I connected and a lot of my shows end up being about mentorship and coaching. You know what I mean? And um, Dr. Cox on Scrubs was without a doubt half my English teacher and half my basketball coach. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 and even on Ted Lasso, Jason made all the writers when they showed up for interviews you had to tell a story of, you know, uh, an influential mentor in your life, you know, uh, someone who either made you believe you could get over a hump or, you know, or someone that made you believe, you know, because having anybody make you believe you can do it in sports or grow up in Connecticut and suddenly be writing comedy, even though I didn't know anybody west of the Mississippi, you know, uh, you need somebody that gives you that uh, I believe in you, you know, stuff, whether you register that it's happening or not, you know, and it's amazing that everybody has those stories regardless of walks of life. And, 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 you know, look, eventually I'm going to do one too many podcasts and people are going to realize I write the same thing every time, but I'm so <laughs> into that world, you know, of like the people that got us here along the way. It's one of the reasons, you know, not to take you to it, but over the years, I've loved your relationship with your pop, you know, it's, it's inspiring on the same level and it's the stuff I like writing about, you know? No, it's, I, I think those are the things that everyone can relate to. Like I always, you know, go back to that. That was the number one thing I got notes about when we were doing the show together was people that say, oh, I, I work with my mom every day or I work with my old man. And they, they see themselves in that part of it. I will say to that end too, you shouldn't feel too bad about how that basketball game went with your son, because my dad was a high school and college wrestler, had the same thing. He always threw on the offer is whenever you think you're ready, we'll go out and we'll go after this. It ended up being Easter Sunday on my grandmother's front lawn in the neighborhood my dad grew up in. We were out full-blown, like, college wrestling style, getting down on the mat in the front yard in our Easter Sunday clothes, absolutely embarrassing our entire family in the neighborhood. Outstanding. Cooked, cooked his ass. I absolutely cooked his ass, but so. Yeah, it's outstanding. I will tell you, I was thinking about this the other day. My dad's struggling right now. It's a, you know, just a, he's an older that. guy, and that's a bummer, but the uh, – I was thinking about him the other day and I went back into some photo albums and uh, not to get into tennis too much, but I, uh, my dad was a good tennis player and I should have beaten him much younger. And I finally at uh, 16 just got over it and just kicked it. You know, when you flip the switch, I just kicked his ass. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely, just uh, absolute beat down. And that's why I love my mom. Uh, my mom was like, let me get a picture of this. And my dad, uh, turned to the camera and gave double barrels, you know, and uh, I have that in my photo album because she sent it out as our Christmas card. It said, Merry Christmas from the Lawrence's. It said inside, it's like, his first time Bill beat his dad in tennis. And by the way, there was no joke aspect of it. He just, well, he was covered in sweat and just furious, you know, it made me so happy. 
Oh yeah, it's listen. It's better when it's earned like that. Yeah, like you said, you had that conversation. It can't be a gimme. You can't just give it up. This has got to be earned, not given. So yeah, can't cheat, but you can't give it up. That's uh, why. The problem is though, once that dam breaks, dude. Once that dam breaks, you're you're done. And now I'm literally in my own basketball game when my son's in town from college. Um, uh, if I'm guarding him, he'll literally, it's not, it's like the shit I used to do. It'd be like mouse in the house. I'm like, dude, don't do that. <laughs> like, don't do, don't do that, man. That's not, it's uncool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm 6'3". I'm not tiny. You know, he's just, he's a beanpole, man. Man, it's, it is, it's, it's tough whenever we get a little, you can't give us an inch. That's the one oh, thing I know as a, as a son now of 33 years, you can't give us an inch cause we will oh. absolutely take a mile. Oh, it's absolutely bleak, man. So upsetting. No, it, it definitely is. I, that uh, seminal moment there for the personal life here. For you now, like, do you get nervous when you've got something like this coming up anymore? Like, for yeah. you guys, season two was, you know, in some ways it felt like a risk. It took a very serious turn on a show that had been sold to so many people as this big hopeful thing. You've got season three coming out right now. You're in the middle of season one of Shrinking. Do you still get like, for lack of a better term, pregame jitters with a lot of these? Yeah, man. The uh, uh, look, the, the Hollywood's really weird because it's like people have been nice to me. Like, oh, you're you got a lot of good shows. I'm really lucky that all my absolute stinkers were so bad they never got on TV. <laughs> a couple did and were awful, you know. And I hide from them and and keep my head buried. Um, I think the thing that we all fear the most is expectations. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Out here, and that's. It, from my point of view, the, there's two things. One is uh, expectations. I'll get back to the first one is the most fun version of this gig are casting people and working with people that you want to hang around with anyways. Cause um, again, to equate it to team sports, you know, it's like being at Thanksgiving with your family, but for fucking six or seven months instead of a weekend. Right. And there's always, all the people you love and love hanging out with, but there's always the crazy drunk uncle, the cousin you just want to beat down and all that stuff. So you generally work with people you want to spend time with, hopefully anyways, or forge those relationships. And from my position, there's a feeling of not wanting to let them down. Uh, easy example, man, of um, Harrison Ford is an awesome dude. Uh, icon for me. He's 80 years old. If I, worked hard to get that dude to do this and it came out and everybody was like, he sucks and it's awful. I'd be like, Oh man, what did I do to, to Indiana Jones? I, I, was, I would, it would crush me to my same thing with Mikey back in the day. You know, it, you go on the one hand, man, it's so fun. I'm like, Oh, family ties back to the future. Mike Fox. If I had written his return to TV show and everybody's like, dude, this sucks. The aspect of letting someone down. That's a teammate you care about yeah. is there. And then the other thing is I find it so much easier to be the first year of Ted Lasso was just fun because uh, Jason, Joe Kelly, Brennan Hunt, me, the four creators, the staff, we didn't know if the show would work. We just knew it was cool at that time in the world to be working on something optimistic and hopeful and that we all dug on doing that every day. Uh, and then it worked. And that was like the icing on the cake. It was really cool what comes with the second year that is expectations, you know, when it's like, Whoa, this is, by the way, and I'm, I was always blown away. So I hadn't been through it that much by how quickly in sports it goes from, even for the winners, man, 
well, you just won the NBA championship. You guys think you can repeat? I'm like, as 10 minutes ago, I feel like, you know, it's insane. And so uh, on a couple of these shows, a real feeling of um, it better be as good as last year. It better live up to these heightened expectations. That kind of underdog status is the stuff that's more fun. And yeah, I feel the pressure of that in a way that it's, it's so self-defeating because be doing anything for results never works out. You know what I mean? To be doing it because you dig it and you're trying to do the best version of it you can and the results land where they land. You know, it's just hard. You know it, man. It's just hard. Yeah. It's, it's the same people that say winning it isn't everything. You know, it's it's you know it logically, but emotionally it tears you up. Oh, there's no doubt, especially when that's the process that you're so buried in day to day. You said you don't try and tune out a lot of the criticism, a lot of the praise. Is there like a person in your life that you look to or like a mentor oh, yeah. or someone where it's, hey, if I'm getting it right, this person is telling me so. Yeah, man. The, um, I used to want to call my production company um, Noble Failure Productions because I always felt like if you can show something to your friends and family without feeling like an idiot, you got to call it a win. Yep. You know what I mean? And, and that's not always the case because when you're young, there's so many things that can go wrong, man. It, you know, it, it's like I, 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 it's fun with you to keep equating things to sports. <laughs> But I always say, like, unless the team's doing, you know, I'm a Sixers fan, unless they're doing the Sixers, you know, process of tanking, yeah. every these every one of these teams they're put together, when they're put together, there's people in rooms, you know, somewhere in America going, this could work, we're going to win. You know what I mean? All shows start out like that. You can make a mistake with writing and casting and the director and whatever. Or when you're a young guy, you can go in and pitch a show to a network and you're like, I'm going to do a cool show about a young newlywed couple in their twenties. And it's going to be authentic and cool. And what it was like to be partying and married at the same time. And then when you go in there, they'll go, we'll make it, but they need to have like a 10 year old that talks like a 30 year old who's super smart, you know, and a wise acre and they need to have superpowers and, and then we'll make it. Your head goes, I can make that work. You know, and then like a week later, you're watching, you're like, oh no, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> this has gone so badly. Oh, <laughs> and no, none of them are going to raise their hand when they go, whose idea was this? They go, oh, his name is uh, on the credits. You're fine. So uh, I think, yeah, the, the goal of of making a noble failure for my, uh, my buddies and uh, uh, my family is um, almost 90% of the battle nowadays. Makes sense. I, and, and it's the right audience because they know you well enough to not do it. It's kind of like what you described before. All of any, that, if there's any criticism, is going to come from a place of love. If there's any feedback, yeah, man, it's going and, to come uh, from a place you trust. Also, it, it doesn't sting as much when, you know, people dig on you and and, and, and care about you, you know, as, as, as opposed to the random, you know, the random. I mean, someday I'll get out of the confidence to go through all my just biggest shit bombs and how much they stung, man. <laughs> Just awful. I made I made the uh, I made the TV version of Rush Hour. You didn't even know that existed. It was wow, a huge swing and miss. Oh man, you've done a good job of covering your tracks on that because you're right. Yeah, I had no that idea. Was a, that was a, that was a debacle, man. It was it was rough. That yeah. one was on TV. Unfortunately, that was one of the ones when they're like, hey, "We're going to put it on TV," and you're like, "Oh no." <laughs> and, and and you I know pretty early in that one it's like oh this is this has gone very wrong yeah i, I think it was on for like an hour and a half i think it was on for like was like like five weeks yeah like, listen my my uncle was on saved by the bell the college years so I, I know what it's like to watch someone realize in real time this might not be going well um you've it, 
had a lot of successes, obviously, too. Like, I grew up watching a lot of Scrubs. Obviously, everyone's loved Ted Lasso. Shrinking is off to an awesome start also. For Scrubs and for Ted, since we're in season three now, how do you think about ending something like this, especially when it's something people have built up so much love for? Well, things have changed, man. And I'll tell you, uh, the weirdest thing is that the network TV business, and you might be a little too young for it. You probably remember it when you were a kid, was you do these shows for eight, nine, 10 years, you know, if it's a huge success, because it would syndicate and you're doing 24 episodes, you know, he made, I think like 200 episodes of Scrub. I made 105 episodes of Spin City in like four years and it lasted like six or seven years. And uh, uh, the characters don't change much and you figure out how to end it in a, you know, a way of everybody, you know, it's Sam Malone turning the lights off in the bar before he leaves, you know, and, and, and it doesn't really happen in those versions, it never really happens until you're told that it's over. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, Scrubs is different because we always knew how it would kind of end. But um, even that, you know, we, it, you know, it, it was it was on maybe is on eight years. I can't believe I spent that much of my life doing one thing. The way that streaming has changed is when Jason uh, and uh, uh, and I uh, and uh, Brennan and Joe came up, you know, went out and pitched it. Um, we were pitching a beginning, middle and end of a story, you know, and that's why what's so interesting is it's become, you know, this, no, the story we're telling is over, you know, and uh, 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 I understand, and it's all, all up to Jason, but I understand when Jason's saying, you know, no, this story is ending uh, and, and people trying to read into that. Does that mean it's an end? Does that mean it's never going to be more Ted Lasso? Does that mean there's not going to be a spinoff? Does, and I think all, you know, he's being cagey in a good way. I was just saying, no, we told a, we pitched a story of a beginning, a middle, an end. You can see it coming. You know sports movies. You know what's going to – you know what I mean? I think there would be lots of surprises. I think people are going to dig on it. So that's the only difference nowadays is uh, uh, shrinking. You know, when I went out and told them what the show was, they said, eh, the first year is about grief. The second year is about forgiveness. And the third year is about moving forward. And, uh, uh, and actually told them. You know, going like, hey, I don't know what every episode is, but here are the characters and here's the beginning, middle and end. And hopefully you dig it. Um, and it's a new type of storytelling that I think that's why it gets weird sometimes for us as fans when shows go on a little longer than you expected, you know, and they're and they're vamping or treading water because now people like their characters to change and move forward. Back then, I mean, if Sam Malone quit his job and started a new career and yeah. then got married the second you'd be like, what's going on? Why, why did why did Norm become a bad guy? Like, you know, like Nate and Ted Lasso. It's all very weird. You know, so I'm a dinosaur, man. It's been really cool to ride the wave of these changes and, and get to keep hitching my wagon to young, talented people. So I get to keep doing it. Do you like that version of storytelling better this way? Yeah, you know, um, I think I think there's merit to all of them. I think what's really weird is uh, I still think multi-camera sitcoms are a crack up, and, and and you know I can watch old episodes of Cheers tonight and be happy. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, what's what's really fun about it is it's something new, and um, you know I got my ten thousand hours, man. It's uh, 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 to still be coming into work and psyched about it because I'm doing something different. It's an absolute blast. The only difference now is. You know, in sitcoms, you'd work till like two in the morning and, and behave badly and go out drinking afterwards when you're a kid. And now all these writers, if it ever hits like eight or nine, I get so grumpy. They like lead me to my car like I'm an in like, hey, why don't you just go home? And we'll tell you 
we'll tell you everything else we did in the morning. It's going to be great. You know? Oh God. So wait, you were, so you were writing for Harrison Ford from your own perspective of him inside yeah, man, of getting so rides sad, right? to work. Dude, I'm a, I am a 54 years young, man. I've been, so I, I, I got my first sitcom gig when I was 22. So that's a lot of, a lot more, I'm bangsy. So people don't know how old I am, you know? It's, it's smart. I wish I had that same option here going forward. But, you know, God gives his toughest battles to me, apparently. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned the 10,000 hours. What do you feel like you know at this point? Like going through this process, I'm sure you learn a lot all the time. But what do you feel like you know and you can give to other people now? Well, yeah, look, uh, uh, I know the business aspect of it, and that's boring. But it's I think it it matters that you know how to play the game uh, a little bit. But I really love uh, teaching about you know, kind of writing and story itself. You know, I, I, I teach at schools. There's a cool thing out here called the showrunners training program that I've taught at since its inception. And it's because TV is again, equating it to sports. It's really weird. You can get a little training, you know, and be a backup quarterback for four or five years and then Jordan love it and maybe get your chance to start this year. We'll see. Do you know what I mean? Or uh, you can be because of something you came up with or because of an actor or an actress, be a top five draft pick where people are literally going, you got to run a TV show this year, having never done it before. And just so you know, even if eventually you'd be good at this, if you fail this year, it's going to set you back. Like all these studios, it's going to set you back five years, 10 years before you get another chance again. Do you know what I mean? So that part of it is very similar. And so I try when I teach to tell the people little things to look for of, you know, like comedy writers, any young people at home that are funny and write jokes, I could tell you right away that jokes are easy and story is hard. And uh, a trick that I tell all of them, if you've written something that you can take a joke from any, any one character and have a different character say it and it doesn't bother you, then you've made a grave mistake because mm. all you do is have a bunch of talking heads. You know what I mean? And that's why... When you look at a show like Cheers, Cliff Clavin's jokes couldn't come out of Sam's mouth. Woody's jokes couldn't come out of Rebecca's mouth. You know, it's it just this character first, you know. Um, and then, look, the hardest thing, the longer you get to do it, we always keep a young person. Every one of my shows uh, always has a couple staff writers that are just starting out because it's so important to have somebody that still comes to work and is like, wow, a TV show. Because man, if you are cynical and jaded and you forget that you're getting paid money to goof around, hang with people you'd hang with anyways and write jokes um, and you get cynical, people can sense that shit, mm. you know, and, and it, they do not respond, man. So, you know, cause that's, that's, that's when you get into mail it in central. Yeah, it's, it's true. People, I, I think now we talked about some of the differences with audiences, and I think this has always been true to an extent, but you see now with younger people too, they can snip out inauthentic, inauthenticity oh, without very doubt. easily. Not only in scripted programming and human beings when they talk, you know, it, it, it's just people have a nose for it. Um, and look, it's so interesting now that there's nine, you know, my, if my dad has nine billion different streaming platforms he watches and we're, you know, we're in trouble. Right. And it used to be in the network days, you know, there would always be, we, they called them hammock shows. So if there's a huge show on eight and a huge show at nine, you could put in kind of a, a mailed in shit sandwich at eight 30 and people would still watch it. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, you weren't even sure what you watch. You're like, yeah, no, I guess I'll go get some food during this one. I'll catch a couple of jokes and you can't do that anymore. You got to uh, grab 
you know, at the very least a passionate, you know, core audience, you're doing it here, man. You know, nobody can be everything to everybody, but if you get a passionate fan base, that's like, I'm down with this. Um, you got to feed them. You got to be real and authentic. You know what I mean? And, and, and you got to meet the responsibility, you know, of what I'm got, got them into it in the first place. You're doomed. You've seen it a bunch, man. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's the absolute truth. And I feel like for you, a lot of the people that you've worked with now, I mean, going back to between Zach Braff, obviously Jason Sudeikis, Jason Siegel, like all of these guys kind of exude that energy where I was talking about shrinking with someone today. And they're like, with Jason Siegel, I always believe it. Like whatever he's doing and however it comes out, I always believe it with him. And so like, that's kind of what I see. Do you see a tie that binds for some of those guys, like the most successful guys you've worked with, especially on screen, like that three, is there something that is a common thread for all them? Yeah. Well, look, it's, it's, I hope it's a combination um, between, you know, a writer and a a, a performer. And cause look, there's people that are amazing that I probably could not write their shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would let them down. Um, Jason's a great example, right? Is, he, uh, I think he was, you know, the Collins brothers, he was their backup at Harvard Westlake. He's really tall guy. I'm sure you can tell good basketball yeah. player. And, uh, uh, he has this sweet spot that, uh, I have a specific voice, I guess, which is, I enjoy mixing broad, silly comedy with moments of emotional depth. And so my shit doesn't work unless there's an actor. The fact that you said that is so flattering to him and I'll make sure he hears it that can be funny. And then the next second, if he's bummed out, hurting, emotionally torn up, sad, dying inside, traumatized, you actually buy it. And it doesn't seem like shtick. Uh, Zach can do it. Uh, you know, Sarah Chalk was able to do it. My wife does it really well, you know, and those are the, it's, so there's a, you know, I don't want to say it's it, keep the metaphor going too much of like between coach and player, mm-hmm. but it has that vibe that when you see no different than by the way, of course, Larry David, wrote for Seinfeld so yeah. well and see those guys in a room. You're like, yeah, no, I get it. You know? And, uh, when I mesh with somebody like that, you know, my one weak point is I'm so comfortable. I, I work with the same people over and over and over and over and over and over. Everybody from one show is on the next show. Next show is on the next show. I'm just, you know, partially cause I like hanging out with them and partially cause it's like a cheat code. Yeah. It, it got that point about that quick swing from emotional to funny. I, I said I was doing a podcast where we were drafting Ted Lasso episodes, and my first overall pick was No Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah, because dude. as I said, that show I think as well as any I've watched recently can have me laughing my ass off through fresh tears while I'm still grasping my chest. And you know that episode, you've got the cutaway between Rebecca and the church and. Ted, you know, pouring his heart out in therapy. And I remember I caught I was the second or third time I've watched through and I'm grabbing my <laughs> chest, texting my friends like, all right, well, my number one pick is caked in recency bias and locked up. So it, it's it, it really is a gift. And for both shows to kind of do it in different ways is is incredible and really admirable. Um, the, the, uh, look, it's, uh, uh, it's very cool. I'm not good at accepting compliments. And my wife said, I have to look people in the eyes and say, thank you. That's very cool. Um, I will I, I obviously pass on all the love to, to, uh, Jason and Joe and Brendan and staff, all these knuckleheads, but, um, man, it's, uh, 
I don't know if I, it's very interesting because uh, I've been challenging myself to try not to do the same thing all the time. But my stick that I love is I've always I'm still very tight with all my buddies that I grew up with and went to college with the, uh, uh, on, he can't play basketball anymore because he, uh, tore his rotator cuff and is a heart surgeon, but the heart surgeon I'm talking about is named JD. He was my best friend from college. I stole his childhood for scrubs. Um, and, uh, um, um, you know, we are playing, uh, 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 pickleball on Saturday as we do every Saturday, cause it's the one sport he can still play without tearing his arm up. But the point of this was my, 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 you know, favorite thing is, man, if I can make guys like us get all choked up, you know, it's my favorite thing in the world for the way I grew up. I will uh, ask my wife and children to leave the room in Field of Dreams when he's going to play catch with his dad. I don't even care if I've watched the movie leading up to it. I'm just gonna be like, I need a few minutes. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, <laughs> you know, oh. that cathartic shit, it gets you, dude. I love it. Listen, 100%, one of, one of the first things, and I, you know what, I can ask you this now and make sure this checks the box because we are now newly minted friends. You've had to spend yeah. 45 minutes with me and listen to me Chris Farley show you through Ted Lasso here. Armageddon, the yeah. end of that movie, do you shed tears? <laughs> because it got me a little. It got me a little, by the way. The, by the way, that, that should be – I mean, it, you, people to do their top ten – uh, uh, movies that you never expected in a million years would get the, uh, you know, by the way, cause those, those are the ones that are hysterical when, you know, it's not even designed to do it. And the person next to you is like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh I, yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes ago, someone's riding a nuclear warhead on an asteroid and now yes, I'm true. screaming, Harry, I love you and crying. So yeah, it are makes no crying sense. Are real genius with Val Kilman? <laughs> Gears <laughs> and Val Kilmer should not belong in the same section of the no. Venn diagram, but here we are. <laughs> no, no, oh. you try. By the way, the, the uh, oh, you know what got me, which uh, absolutely slayed my son, uh, was because uh, you know he's the right age for it. Was uh, Avengers uh, Endgame? Tony Stark dying, man. Oh. I was a puddle, and my wife is literally like, "What are you doing?" His daughter, he told his daughter about not make <laughs> uh, I'm going to make him, him, him tell him, I'm going to make you cheeseburgers. Your dad liked cheeseburgers. I'm like, he did. You're going to have all the cheeseburgers you want. <laughs> That's one I can vividly remember. It was the weekend of the draft in Nashville, and I went and saw it with our whole digital show unit, and everyone's yeah. eyes were dead forward during that scene because we all knew if we looked, we heard the sniffles. We didn't need the eye contact to know everyone was soaking their shirt with tears. Not having it, man. It's so funny. My oh. wife's like, these are people in costumes. You know, they're like, shut, shut up. You don't even, I didn't even ask you to come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go wait in the car. I don't need this right yeah. now. The boys and me wanted to come. You don't have to be here. <laughs> oh, man. That's a oh. funny list, dude. I'm going to obsess. Uh, all I do in the writer's room is try to find different ways to waste time. And tomorrow I'm going to do the, the 10 most surprising shows or movies that made you cur- There's an episode of News Radio that made me ball um, randomly. But, yeah, the, that, when, that, when that stuff happens – uh, uh, oh, it's so embarrassing, but I eat it up, dude. Tears out, up. tears out of nowhere. You know what? Eventually down the road, we'll have to get you back on here and we'll just have you do the list of the 10 most surprising. I'll come up, if you want, I, it doesn't, I can even just show up and do that or send it to you. I will come up with the, uh, 
the 10 movies that made uh, uh, that make guys cry that are embarrassing to say that you cried to these movies. I will definitely shock the world with that. All right, there Brent we go. Wilson will put Muppet movie right up top, by the way. I, I figured as much. It was going to be going to be that or like Grease 2 or something. For yeah. him. <laughs> Look at you, man. You've done your homework. <laughs> he loves that movie. Oh, oh my, my God. God. It's it's incredible. Uh, Bill, I could sit here and talk to you all day. This has been so much fun. Uh, obviously a huge fan, but thank you so much. I, I appreciate the time. Congratulations on all the success with all this. It's been a ton of fun to watch, and I promise I will be done compliment bombing you now. Oh, dude, uh, thank you so much. I'm a fan. Uh, it, it's fun to do. I, I, I literally, I think I talked to you like after I jokingly on Twitter said, uh, I think I'm a good podcast guest. And just know that whether you saw that or not, and that's why we ended up hooking up, uh, um, of, of the 900 tweets I got back, some of which were from podcasts that I'm quite sure had been invented during the tweet, you know, and someone would be like, I'm doing this one in my garage. It's called Bill Lawrence Shows. Uh, it was, uh, it's super fun to come and talk to you, man. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the nice stuff you said, man. No, absolutely. You're an A-plus podcast uh, guest in our book here, and I appreciate yeah, you baby. getting back to me there. So thanks so much, Bill. We'll talk to you again soon. Def- with no that problem. List. Put it out in the world. Next time you're in town, come play ball. I'll get Russell out there too, man. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon Newman, do you know what time it is? I do, Mike. Let's go. Love you like a brother. Treat you like a friend. Respect you like a lover. Oh, 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 oh. You can this, that, never gotta sweat that. You could this, that, never gotta sweat that. You could this, that, never gotta sweat that. You could this, that, never gotta Be the cash, I'm being a rubber band. Be the match, I won't be the fuse. Boom, paint them, baby, you can be my muse. I'm the reporter, baby, you can be the news. Cause you're a cigarette, and I'm a smoker. We raise a bet, cause you're the joker. Check them all, and you're the charm. I can be the black boy, you can be the talk, I can be the wall Even when the sky comes falling, even when the sun don't shine I got faith in you and I, so put your pretty little hand in mine Even when I'm down to the wire, baby. even when it's 
We can do it, baby, simple and plain. Still standing the third. Softer side of Brandon Newman. That was tender, delicate, purposeful, powerful. I felt safe, yet gently held at the same time. Woo! Sure thing, baby. This then the third. As always, if you agree that it's a sure thing, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us that five-star rating and tell Brandon what a phenomenal job he has done, as always. Brandon, let's get to this. Uh, we referenced one story surrounding the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, this is the far more important one. Colorado police announced that uh, star point guard John Morant will not face criminal charges stemming from his Instagram live video that appeared to display a handgun at a nightclub in Glendale, Colorado. The police department announced Wednesday afternoon. Now, they said that there wasn't enough to charge him with a crime in that video. The Grizzlies announced that he will be away from the team for at least two games. Those were Sunday and Tuesday. Morant later said he was going to get help um, while he was away from the team, work on me- better methods of dealing with stress. He's now going to also miss the Grizzlies game against Golden State on Thursday, home game against Dallas on Saturday, and then at Dallas on Monday before the Miami Heat. So the earliest he could come back as they've added now four games would I believe be March 17th. It's worth noting, still haven't seen if the NBA has their investigation ongoing. Because as many people have pointed out in recent days, it's illegal and against league rules to bring a firearm onto a team plane and that would result in the 50 game suspension and would end Jaws year and lead to a lot more trouble so at least for him though criminal charges avoided in Colorado but still a lot for that team to kind of get their arms around right now yeah but I do like how everyone is responded especially their head coach they're keeping it in-house they don't want to they want to add any other things to the narrative by letting any other extra word or anything leak like Clearly, their star player needs help, and they're doing it actively so much that he's putting basketball on the back burner to do so. So I hope this is one of many iterations of good news about this story, even after Jog comes back on the court. Yeah, exactly. Like, I understand that this is a team that for so much this year has been at the top three of the West, but we talked about it. This is a lot more existential for what you're building going forward. And if it's severe enough to where they are taking them off the basketball ball court right now and being this tight-lipped, it's probably worth them making sure, hey, we've got everything right with a guy that's a really big part of our team before we just get back to trying to win games and do whatever you're going to do in this year's Western Conference playoffs. So... Um, we'll keep you updated on the more of that uh, as it keeps coming up. But again, Job Ramp won't be charged in uh, Colorado for anything stemming from that IG Live video. Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, this is one you brought to my attention. CBS is getting ready to launch a 24-7 soccer channel online. Now, most people, if you're a soccer fan, if you watched a lot of the English Premier League or a lot of Formula One, quite frankly, you've been used to Sky Sports, which is... You know, something that a lot of American uh, channels, NBC, Fox Sports will simulcast online uh, for soccer, for things like the big European transfer window day, all these different things. Um, CBS has decided that they are going to 
put the launch of this network, CBS Sports Galazzo Network, a 24-7 streaming channel that's going to launch on April 11th online. And Brandon, we talked a little bit about this relative to college football with the Pac-12 and the potential for something like that Apple deal where streaming and sports have had a conflictive relationship so far. A lot of people have been pissed off when games of teams that they love, Notre Dame fans and Peacock, have been put behind some sort of streaming service, some sort of online paywall. What happened? you but what we talked about with apple and the pac-12 i think is applicable here which is if you've got everything in one spot and people know where to find it now all of a sudden i think the conversation is a little bit different and i think directing people where to go is going to be a much bigger conversation about this i saw an article somewhere and forgive me for not having it actually in front of me but it was a reporter a rumor that espn may consider a service that tells you the date time network all of that on an app for when sporting events are sort of like a tv guide but across all of the various digital platforms we have now and with the expanded platforms that we've got that's probably going to be as useful as it's ever been oh yeah definitely mike i mean that's every time there's a big event i'm spending hours not hours but at least a good 15 minutes trying to figure out what article is going to post where i can actually see this thing and not an analysis on it so as much as Apple Plus would be a perfect place to watch all of your MLS, the fact that CBS is going to house something for all of soccer, I mean, this is like studio shows, uh, actual games, um, just different iterations of the thing. Like we talked about the importance of just having something on. What ESPN did was have something on and people learn about the thing they care about the most while it's on. This is what the CBS is going to offer. It Obviously, online is a little bit harder to do when it comes to just like having something on in the background but for soccer fans this is probably a godsend yeah i'd be curious what the feedback is again it's a sport that i comparatively know a lot less but i've watched you know a bunch of premier league stuff and you know it's usually flipping around i have to go to the premier league app which you can use to tell you hey it's on usa or it's on peacock today or it's on nbc or nbc sports and that's i just looked it up that's what espn has reportedly talked about they've talked reportedly with major sports leagues and media partners about launching a feature that would link users directly to where a live sporting event is streamed according to sources so the actual partners haven't been determined but that's one thing where it would be hey even if it's sending you to a competitor you're coming to us to know where to go and there's going to be a lot of value in that so uh, you know again this isn't all going anywhere even if it's been a rockier start than maybe some would have anticipated and going after the biggest sport in the world usually not a bad place to start even if it's largely american based uh brandon Let's get to the third. This one just sheer numbers wise blows my mind. So it was announced yesterday after 47 years that Hall of Famer Jim Beheim will not be returning as the men's basketball coach for Syracuse. They lost to Wake Forest 77-74 to on a buzzer beater in the ACC tournament. And then Q's announced after that game that associate head coach Adrian, uh, Adrian Autry, who's been on the staff with Beheim since 2011, would be promoted to head coach. And this comes off like a couple of really weird stretches for Jim Beheim. it had been a grouchy year for him right we heard him complaining about how teams like Pittsburgh and Miami bought their programs bought their teams this year in the wake of the new NIL rules he had made some comments um I believe back in earlier in Feb early in February 
Jim Beheim was asked about uh, in an interview with ESPN regarding his future with the team and said, I know it's my choice. I can do whatever I want. I just don't know for sure. And talked about not wanting to feel pressure with his age. He came back out and said, you know, and kind of walked that comment back. And so now the way this has gone down, I think it's going to prompt a lot of people to look at this. Syracuse's first losing season in his tenure was just last year. His accolades and his resume at Syracuse are unassailable, right? I mean, he has taken Syracuse to the tournament on 35 occasions. He's got the 03 title with Carmelo, 58 official NCAA tournament wins, which is fourth all time. Like, he's done, he is Syracuse basketball, synonymous, but everything runs its course. You could feel the frustration with that fan base and their head coach this year. And this is probably with Jim Beheim as close as we're ever going to get to something resembling an amicable parting of ways. Yeah. There's too many been too many ruffled feathers along the way, and you're 100 right. Jim Beheim is Syracuse basketball at this point, and maybe that's one of the issues with Syracuse basketball. Bro, uh, it, it it like I didn't realize because you hear 47 years as the head coach of Syracuse is already insane. There is nothing in this world I love that I, enough to do for 47 years outside of be alive. That's it. It's too long to do anything. But then I realized, and it was pointed out to me, front office sports tweeted, Jim Beheim has been at Syracuse his entire adult life. He was there as a student from 1962 to 66 and a player. Wow. Graduate student from 67 to 69. Assistant coach from 69 to 76 before he took over with the head coach. He's been there forever. Roger Sherman from The Ringer pointed out, Jim Beheim had kids 25 years into his tenure as the head coach at Syracuse and then yeah. stuck around long enough to coach those kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, none, none of this makes sense. Like, to do anything for 47 years is a wild thing to consider, let alone recruit. Have to have your livelihood determined by 18 to 22-year-olds. I can understand why this time, especially as NIL is changing some of it. College basketball's always had a complicated relationship with money and shoes and stuff like that. I can understand why this might not be the place for a 78-year-old to feel comfortable anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, a 78-year-old being the gatekeeper to a, a historic basketball program, obviously historic for a lot of things that he has done in his time, but it just feels like there has to be there has to be some negative negative aspects to him still being at the helm, being the gatekeeper, as I said, to, to this university. So I'm glad that everyone can move on. Uh, I just I just hope there's no bad blood moving forward because like you said that this is home in a very real way that really can't be uh repeated by any other i mean coach k maybe maybe but like he was talking the other day he goes i've been unbelievably fortunate to keep this job mike bray is thrilled he was at notre dame for 23 years he's a puppy i've had 47 years <laughs> like it's just you didn't want to see anywhere what else like Syracuse is nice the dome is great all that stuff up there but upstate New York is cold and dark you didn't want to go try anything else for any amount yeah. of time like this did allow me to do my favorite my dad's favorite trick anytime old things come up it's to go back and check the prices and important things that were going on and I thought yeah. I would settle in on the year 1962 when Jim Beheim first came to Syracuse's campus where we were in the way of the world the cost of mm. a new home in 1962 Brandon was $18,200 
a gallon of regular gas was 31 cents and a gallon of milk cost you 49 cents. A gallon of milk cost more than a gallon of gas back then. Okay, now that that is wild. And it probably should be, oh, well, the cows. Cows. Um, The artist of the year, the album of the year was The First Family by Von Meter. Um, Nope. The Billboard Top 10, uh, Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. In Let's go with movies. Best actor went to Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. Best picture was Lawrence of Arabia. Best director was uh, David Lean for Lawrence of Arabia. Anne Bancroft uh, was best actress for The Miracle Worker in that year. In sports in 1962, Brandon, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants to win uh, what I think was the Super Bowl. It might have just been you know whatever it was before the merger at that point. Um, the MVP was Y.A. Tittle with the New York Giants in college football. The Heisman Trophy winner was Terry Baker at Oregon State. Um, the champ- national champion was USC. They beat Wisconsin 42-37 to in the Rose Bowl. And in the Ooh. NBA, you had the Boston Celtics, coached by Red Arbach, win the championship against the Los Angeles Lakers. Bill Russell was the MVP and the Cincinnati Bearcats won the college basketball national title that year in college sports. Okay. That was, I imagine that was before Bob Huggins. This was also the year Wilt Chamberlain allegedly scored a hundred points in a basketball game. The incredible Hulk debuted as a, a new show and oh, Jack Nicholas beat Arnold Palmer to win his first major tournament. So that was what was going on when Jim Beheim got to Syracuse as a student originally in 1962. I mean, what a resume. Happy trails to Jim Beheim. Uh, happy trails to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review Gojo. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.